The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. This is Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. So over 400 years ago, the government that existed was made up of these small groups of empires and kingdoms. And there was also endless wars that broke out over religion, politics, power, and just things that kind of sound familiar to today, but they were really heavily in control back then because there was something that was lacking. So fast forward to the 17th century, something came into play that we desperately needed called sovereignty. And it came into effect as a part of a peace agreement after the 30-year war. So basically what it means is that every country can now act as its own entity without the worry of outside influences from other countries or just outside influences in general. Primarily, it guaranteed that there was governmental authority over sovereign land. It also ensured that each state's borders were respected and that, you know, everyone understood that you just couldn't just come into other people's countries and then decide that you want to take over. So it severely reduced um, the, 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 the wars, the fighting and things that was happening. But so but here's the thing. It also made it possible for smaller countries to not be taken over by larger countries politically. In other words, if people in a particular country, let's say you're in a small country, decide that they wanted to either vote for or vote out their leader, if a bigger country says, nope, I want to work with that leader, then we're going to come in and, and vote and do things and mess up your elections. It also prevented that as well. So sovereignty served as a source of support for, for everyone. It, 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 it created a situation where other countries just couldn't interfere. Ultimately, what sovereignty did was that it brought order to the modern world, much like capitalism. So it's important to know that sovereignty isn't a group of people. But it's a system that was established in order to reduce war and conflict, and it worked. So why do we still have conflict? Because the rules that were put in place around this system, it policed the system, but it did not police the emotions of people. And oftentimes, you have people who do not like some of the rules, like, for instance, crossing into other countries without permission. There are people who aren't ready to follow certain rules because they feel emotionally that they shouldn't have to or that there's something wrong with this system and this rule because it doesn't make me feel good. Again, like crossing into other countries without permission. You see, when sovereignty was put in place, there wasn't policies around migrants, only refugees, because it said that, and and let's just be clear, refugees are people who are fleeing because of war, political oppression, religious persecution, or a natural disaster. Not because you wish to be in a country where you have more financial opportunities. 
I think we all want that, but that wasn't covered. So that was up to the country to allow you to come in and become a citizen by going through the proper channels that was set by that country. That's the purpose of sovereignty. So when we start making our own rules to circumvent the existing rules, we now have a serious problem. So the reason why I started this podcast by talking about sovereignty first and where it came from and what it is is because it's becoming increasingly apparent to me that there are so many people out here who just don't know that it exists or what it is or why it exists. And that sovereignty also protects smaller countries from being under the control of larger countries. But unfortunately, there are those who think that interfering with the businesses of other countries without permission is the right thing to do because we have a compassionate heart. So we've allowed our emotions to supersede logic, safety, security. And I think that's just extremely dangerous because when you allow your emotions to supersede everything else, you open yourself up to be taken advantage of and manipulated. So let's talk about nationalism. This is something that I, I so this word, it's interesting because this word kind of came back up during the Trump era as if, you know, we weren't all patriotic and we are all nationalists before President Trump. But but it became a thing and we started putting labels on it. And now you have what people call it white nationalists and, and, and black nationalists and all this other stuff. And it's just really bizarre to me because nationalism is more so about a system than it is about the people who are being represented or who are who are elected to represent you. I support nationalism because it benefits not just my country, but it benefits the countries around me as well. I feel like being a nationalist and being someone who is really who finds it super important to support your country doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you someone who supports all countries because you understand that understand that there are things that are happening in each country that is that is pertinent to that particular country. So let's backtrack a little bit because I believe there are probably people who don't even know what nationalism means or what I'm saying or is a little confused. So let's just start here. So there are so many definitions that are surrounding nationalism, so many meanings depending on who you're speaking with. But I like to look at nationalism in a pure, its purest form. And so according to the American Heritage Dictionary, nationalism is the belief that nations will benefit from acting independently rather than collectively emphasizing national rather than international goals. The purpose of all the bloodshed that took place over the last 400 years was to secure independence. And most people think that the opposite of nationalism is some form of philanthropy. And that can't be any further from the truth. You see, (laughs) those who wish to put their country first are now seen as selfish and as out of touch and it's almost made almost made to to be seen as people who hate other countries because they love their country and that the idea of international unity is dependent upon giving up sovereignty when in fact sovereignty was the answer to the cry for unity so today we have so many cases of philanthropy and in which i think most of them are money grabs or pr stunts You know, I mean, we see foundations popping up all over the world in every industry by extremely wealthy people. Many of these foundations are created with the objective of supporting other countries, which to me makes no sense. But, for example, you have the Clinton Foundation, which we all heard of, which racked in millions and millions of dollars to support Haiti. And I'm still trying to figure out where the money went. 
At least, at least if the goal was to support this country, to get them back to a position where they can not only be economically sustainable and stable, but in a better spot, because that's the whole point, right? Because I believe countries know how to kind of rectify and calibrate themselves. But the whole point of us coming in was to, or Clinton Foundation coming in, was to, quote unquote, help to increase the growth of this country and to allow the people to have more opportunities. Well, I don't see any of that. So moving on from her and them, let's go to Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. So Mark Zuckerberg announced publicly that he was going to give up shares towards his new foundation or his new charity. And the shares totals around or a little bit over $100 billion. When you look at his charity, his charity is listed as LLC, not a 501c3, which was what it would have to be here in America. So that leaves you to go do some other research. But it's also controlled and operated by him. So every decision that's made is made by him. He's literally, literally just shifting money from one pocket to the next. It's still within his same purview. And then what makes it interesting is that when you go and look at what the objective is of this foundation, he says to support science and other blanketed issues. And I, I, I again, I can't nail down what exactly this is for. And then we have Bill Gates, whose foundation is also controlled and operated by him. But at least his foundation is a 501c3. But once again, I'm still looking for these results. So I'm interested to see how this philanthropic support plays out. I'm interested to see what lives are changed and how these poor countries um, that they claim to help are now seeing growth from all of this assistance. So there's a proverb, I think it's a proverb, an old proverb, but I put it like this, it's an old saying that goes, you know, give a man a fish, you can feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Well, why are we continuing to, to just hand out fish and thinking that somehow this is going to turn these countries around? Okay. So I listened to um, a Senegalese woman that I found on YouTube that I love. Her name is Maguette Wade. She is born in Senegal, and she ended up coming over to America um, after a series of journeys. I, think, I don't think America was her first um, stop when she decided to leave Senegal. But long story short, she became a very successful woman here and businesswoman, and she said that she tells this, this amazing story about her driving and realizing or kind of questioning, like, why is it that my country is in the position it's in and why is my country not thriving? So what was interesting about what she said, and I, I definitely encourage you to look her up, and I'm hoping to have her on the podcast at some point, but she, like so many, originally couldn't understand why her country wasn't like others. Why wasn't it thriving like some other countries? She, she, she was asking herself, herself after receiving so many years of aid, like, what's happening? Well, her story, I'm not going to tell her story, but over the course of time, she finally was able to nail it down, and the answer became clear. And it wasn't because their people didn't have shoes, she likes to talk about that. Like, yeah, if we're sending shoes and clothes to countries and we think that's somehow going to pull people out of poverty. It wasn't because they didn't have shoes, but it was because they couldn't own land. Now, 
this is this this she may not have been talking specifically about Senegal, but in general, when you look at these poor countries, it's extremely difficult to own your own property. And if you think about it, most businesses that start in America, they start by leveraging money off of their homes and their property. So imagine if you have you you literally have no starting point. And then to continue, the idea of trying to start your own shoe business is extremely hard because you have so much red tape. And in most cases, the aid that goes to leaders in these other countries, typically you find it going towards their family and their friends. So many of the people in these countries have college degrees. There are so many people who are confined to being street vendors because they can't use their degree or they can't start a business because of all of the crazy red tape that's hampering them from being able to succeed. See, they lack the ability to defeat the red tape that's put in place by their government. In other words, it's not aid that they need. They need amendments to laws that hampers entrepreneurship. So you have to ask yourself, am I helping or am I hurting when I ignore sovereignty when it comes to other countries? Just because you have permission to be there doesn't mean that what you're doing is positive or having a positive effect. So are we more concerned with the dopamine hit that we get when we do something nice? I mean, I think many of us are blessed to live in a country where we can thrive. So are you feeling guilty when you think of what others are having to endure? If the answer to one of those questions or both is yes, then it really is time for us to turn the mirror on ourselves because philanthropy comes in all shapes and sizes. And you don't have to own a foundation or have the ability to cut a $100 billion check like Mark to participate in these different ways. It's just that your way may not be as big, but it could be equally as detrimental. What am I talking about? So I listened to a TED Talk by a person who works in humanitarian logistics. And I thought that was quite interesting. He opened up um, by talking about how there was such an outpouring of love that was sent to Newtown, Connecticut um, after the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. He said that they received around 65,000 teddy bears, 500,000 pieces of mail, and thousands upon thousands of toys and clothing. All of this was sent to a city that has a population of 27,000 people. So the donations within itself created a whole other problem while they were dealing with the tragedy. So your good deeds is good, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have it, but mm, it didn't help. A lot of that stuff, they had to burn it because they didn't know what to do with it. So I started to think, what made people bypass researching the needs of the community and skip straight to running up to their attics and creating piles of clothes and toys to support this community because it felt good. It just felt good. The feeling didn't leave the room enough for you to consider the logistics. 
the feeling carried more weight than even questioning whether you're creating a logistical nightmare for another group of people or the people that you are wanting to help. I mean, the truth is we rather send help instead of moving to these countries, living with these people and getting a clear view into the needs of the community. And to be clear, I'm not saying that you're a bad person for doing what you can. And I understand that there are many who just can't pick up and move. And I understand that completely then you should listen to those who have picked up and moved. Because if you find these people like Maguette, many of them who have moved away, they come back with a different perspective, one that is similar to Maguette Wade, one where they realize that mm, there's a bigger problem at hand. It's not that the people aren't highly intelligent there. It's not that they don't have the ability to be successful. It's just that they don't have the opportunity to be successful because you have these governments that are taking all the money, all the wealth, not reinvesting in the community and making it difficult for people to be able to succeed. And at the end of the day, our dopamine hit that we get from sending stuff may be part of the problem. So whether you like it or not, I think we all are nationalists. We are. We can't help it. It's just who we are. (laughs) We show it every single day in little ways. I mean, the fact that there's a Chinatown in most major cities is a piece of nationalism for them. Matter of fact, we we instead of saying we're nationalists, we say that we just like to have a little piece of home, (laughs) which is the same thing. It's no different than when you look at different funeral customs that we have here in America. You think about how each person who comes from either different countries or have different cultural backgrounds, there's so many different funeral customs that are here in America because it's another way to have a little piece of home. We want to be nationalists. Some people claim to hate this country, but they never leave. They don't go anywhere. They don't want to go anywhere. They never leave. We pretend like we've experienced the entire world and are convinced that our utopia that we have in our brains, somehow it's what's best for the world, and that everyone needs to get on board. You see, because deep, deep, deep down inside, some deeper than others, I think we all believe in our country. We want to protect and defend our country, but it's hard when you look around at the mistreatment of other people in other countries. So what do we do with this? I think it's a beautiful thing to have ambassadors as long as their objective is to teach foreign leaders effective ways to create opportunity and the importance of democracy. That will benefit these countries and the people in these countries so much more than shoes. I think in some cases, providing the community with tools and resources that can be used in their you know, in their own individual communities is great, but you can't do it without the input of the people who you think you are helping. You know, they know what they need. You can ask, you can find out. And in most cases, they want to be left alone and they want the government off their backs so they can go out and thrive. We cannot interfere with their corruption because here's the thing. 
we have to understand that it is not our job to try to clean up the corruption in another country. It's the job of the country and those who are impacted. Because in many cases, corruption is bred out of bad policy. There was another example that Maguette gave that I thought was quite interesting because it, it actually leaves pl- people in a place where when you have bad policy, you kind of force people to be in a place where they feel that corruption is their only option. So, for instance, she gave an example of how it's over here in America. It takes about 15 minutes to create an LLC over there. Um, in some countries, it can take up to a year to create an LLC. Seriously? And then not only that, but in some countries, it's like $100 to notarize a document. And then you have to have several documents notarized. And then your paperwork gets pushed to the back. And then now you're in this position. Some countries have mass corruption because they have bad policy. And if they fix that, they'll handle the corruption as well. So we have to have faith in the capabilities of the nationalists that reside in their country. I think Ukraine shocked the world when we saw nationalism rise in there and and they were able to just stave off (laughs) Russia. I know they're still in it, but we saw it. If only we had more faith in those people than in our utopias— that reside in all of our little heads, I think we'll be better off. I love my country, and it is our duty to protect the systems that has sustained this country for as long as it has. And we must, we must put the mask on our country first, and I'm talking about the air mask, not the COVID mask. (laughs) Talking about the oxygen mask. (laughs) We got to put the oxygen mask on our country first before we start trying to place it on other countries because we're only as strong as our nationalism. And I think that's something that Ukraine has certainly taught us. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. Remember to like, share, and follow this podcast so you'll be notified when new episodes have been uploaded. And if you heard something that you like, please give it five stars. And guess what? I need your feedback. Or if you just have a topic that you want to hear or some ideas and ways that I can help to make this podcast more enjoyable for you, please shoot me an email. It goes directly to me at I am period Janelle King at gmail.com. That's I am dot Janelle King at gmail.com. And like I always say, remember, disagreement is democracy. Thank you for listening. Listen each week at the podcastpark.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen and subscribe. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. 
Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation. Like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.